This morning, if you would, turn in your Bible to John chapter 13. And I want to read a passage of Scripture starting in verse number 1 through verse 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I I read something uh, a week or two ago in the news, and uh, I got pretty excited when I read it. So I started looking a little further because it was just a little blurb. And um, it was about uh, in June of this year, something pretty amazing was going to happen. Captured my attention. I can't wait for June. NASA's New Horizon spacecraft, I can't not remember exactly how long it's been going, but it's been a long time, is closing in on Pluto. And uh, it's five moons. It's 300 plus million miles away. This mission's been going for years. And it's getting very close. So all of NASA's excited. I'm excited. And soon we're going to see images and pictures that nobody has ever seen before. Nobody. And we're going to see this 
pictures of this tiny little icy planet that some are trying to discard as a planet, but that's another story. And the pictures that we are waiting for, they're going to be amazing. I'm ex- I just can't wait. I want to see what this looks like. All I can say is, is wow. I've seen other NASA images, and I look at it, and I go, wow. And, and sometimes you read the little print, and you find out, wow, it took uh, this computer on a craft to send messages back for years. One image was a compilation of 10 years' worth of images and, and data coming back and compiling and compiling, and you get this image, and it you're, you're just you're, you're, takes your breath away when you see it. NASA has shared such amazing adventures with us who are earthbound uh, for many years now. But I want to look at something else that puts an image in our hearts and in our minds. And, um, and more than these pictures that NASA sends, it's too amazing. It's too absolutely hard to comprehend and wrap your mind and wrap your heart around this. And this is this account of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples that I read to you this morning. I want to look at this, and I want us to consider some things. Um, I think one of the most telling things in this is, the, is what, how John sets this story up. We know that these apostles, uh, the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament, were inspired by the Word of God with some freedom to see their own heart and their own testimony of the goodness and glory of God as it comes out in the Gospels and other books of the Bible. So we know this. Sometimes I wonder in my mind, what, what did they go through? Because there is a verse in the Scripture that says that if everything that Jesus ever did was written down in a book, the world couldn't contain them. I don't believe that's hyperbole. I believe that he's... This is God in the flesh, and what he did was extraordinary in measure. The world couldn't contain it. So here's the apostles and John specifically thinking, I want to write this for for the generations of believers that are after me. And so he goes through in his mind and heart and says, what story stands out the most to me, or or in this instant that grabs me the most? And I want to share that. and one of the stories that he shares in the accounts was he was there personally and was when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And that's what he wanted to share. But he wants to set it up to the readers, to you and to I. He says, there's a couple things you need to know first before I tell you about this. And the things he wanted them to know first was, he says, Jesus knew that his hour had come. To depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew that his hour had come. Well, not strictly an hour, but metaphorically that afternoon into the night when he would be arrested and the next day he would be crucified. But he'd been on a mission for 33 years from heaven. He took on the flesh and he came to the earth to carry out a mission that the, the, the holy tri- tribunal in heaven decided upon in their infinite glory and majesty and knowledge long before the foundations of the earth or the universe. 
This was their plan. Jesus would come. God would come in the flesh and dwell among men. And his last three years, he would go public with his ministry. And the purpose was to provide redemption. The purpose was to make an avenue of his love to his sheep, to his children. And so his hour had come. And, and um, so what does he think about? He knows, he knows he's, the, he's God. He knows the sequence of events. There's a couple of things. It's not, this isn't the last thing he does, washing the feet of the disciples, but it's close. He's going to institute the Lord's Supper, communion, and talk to them about that. And they would witness that. And they would have dinner conversation there at the Passover. So John sets this up, and he says he knew his hour had come. Have you ever not wondered what you would do if you knew your hour had come? Like maybe you were down to your last hour, maybe your last day. We, I think everybody thinks about that. You wouldn't be normal, I suppose, if you didn't think about it. What would you do? That's the next thing that comes into our minds. What would we do if we knew it was our last hour? What if you knew today you would die? Now, some of you might sit out there because you don't have any hope or you're fearful or you're, you're just too distant from God right now. You, you, you're like... I don't like talking about that. Let's move on to something else. No, I think this is wonderful to talk about. What if you knew today was your last day? How would you busy your time? Have you ever thought about that? I think about it sometimes, and I go, I don't know. You know, some people might think, well, I better get my Bible out and brush up, because if there's a theology (laughs) quiz when I get to heaven, I want to be able to perform really well and find out what God wants to say, or I better find out this and this and this. I don't know. I don't think we'll do that. I don't know, maybe look a little bit, read a couple of reassuring scriptures, you know, the promise and hope, uh, you know, in my father's house are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you, I would love that one. What would we think about? Um, I think there are a few people in the world who have known this, and uh, I haven't read very many testimonies, but I want to share one with you, if I can. Maybe I can't. I'll try. Um, a year ago, in a, in a couple of weeks, my father died. And he had been uh, fighting uh, and were, uh, just struggling with diabetes his whole life. You know, not his whole life, but for, for 30 years. And um, he knew what it was, how the disease would progress and all this. Anyway, beside the point, he got really tired. And it was just too much for his body could hardly recover from one dialysis session to the next, you know. And I would just, oh, I would go with him sometimes when I had opportunities and, and if I could just see how difficult it was. But he, anyway, the doctor said, we need to do something different. And he's already had too many different things done. So he's okay. So he went home and him and my mother had talked about it. And he says, you know, I'm kind of tired. I don't want to do this. And uh, so they, they agreed. They just, both of them agreed. My parents were both believers and, and loved the Lord. And I had just gotten back in Abu Dhabi when they had made that decision. I was probably in the air. And so when I heard it, I turned around and headed back. The doctors told my father, you have about 10 days when you make this decision. Others have done this probably, Right. And he said, had 10 days. So I thought, well, I can 
do a couple of things here, wrap up, and I can get back there and uh, see my father. So, yeah, I did. And uh, my other brothers and sisters and family members, they were already there, so they got to, you know, be with him those first few days. And um, he got remarkably better, you know, not having to go through all that stuff. And then I got there, and I, I heard their stories, and I got there two days before he died. <clears throat> but my father decided in his last hour... Um, something that made me scratch my head a little bit, you know, because I'm just immature in so many things. And um, I think preparing this message, it came to me. My father was um, actually having fun. Playing cards, he liked to play cards and games and make jokes. And I have some hilarious pictures of him. He was a Civil War buff, so he's got a full-on Civil War uniform that was made that he's in, and he's old and frail, and, and he just, it's my dad, you know. I remember, I was there, uh, and he was sitting, laying in a bed in the living room, and he was playing cards, and someone knocks at the door rather loudly, and he goes, quick, hide the cards. <laughs> what are you, dad, what are you talking about? What, hide the cards. But for him, he told my mother, and my mother told me this after the funeral, Dad was so excited about knowing that he had 10 days left because it gave time for the family to come together. He loved his family, right? And it was just a glorious time for him. And he was excited about that, and he was just engaged in family. And I thought, um, what would I do? Would I do that? And then I read this text, and our Lord knows his hour has come. And, he, and what is he going to do? So he decides to engage with his family, the 12 apostles, whom he would leave in charge. They would be the first, the, the current generation uh, leaders of the church. And he would minister to them and leave them something and show them a little bit more of himself. So his hour had come and he had this idea. So John wants us to make sure we understand this because he says in this same verse, He knew it was time for him to depart out of the world to the Father. Read John 17 this afternoon, the high priestly prayer, because you get a lot of the same language. And he was, wow, was mixed for our Lord. He was excited to go back home with his Father. And so was my Father, by the way. Excited to go back home with his Father, but at the same time, oh, my family is still here. And um, so he knew he was going to depart. And John says this. This is not what our Lord says. This is what John says in all that he knows and the full presence of the Spirit in his heart as he writes these words down. Jesus, having loved his own, were in the world. He loved them to the end of his mission. He still loves us. He's in heaven. But he had this mission to do and he was going to go to the cross. So all the way, he never failed in his love to show us. Never failed. He just got richer and richer and richer. But this time it was going to look a little bit different. Wow, his love. This is just, this is just who Jesus is. His, his desire, his thinking, his acting uh, in every possible way. It's the beat of his heart to love people, to love his children, to, to go, literally go after the 90 and 9. This is his heartbeat. Soon all of this would be concluded and he would transition back to the Father. He would... He would gain the glory he had willingly set aside for a time. 
the divine uh, mission of redemption would, would be accomplished. And he would go to the Father and begin to what? I'm going to go, I'm going to get there and I'm going to start making your place. I'm going to create this, this place for you for all of eternity. And it will be with me. It will be rich beyond your wildest imaginations. But I'm going to be busy about that while I'm gone. So he told them that. But this was our Lord. Loving in the most amazing way to the end. And John says, you need to know this. You need to know this. And then we'll look and see some more things here. So he does this. And then John says, okay, one more thing I want to set up. And then, and then he tells the story about the washing of the feet. And this next thing he said, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So why did, I mean, Jesus doesn't tell us this. John tells us this about Jesus. He, he, Jesus knows who he is. All authority is given to him in heaven and earth kind of funny that he would John would mention this it's very important that John would mention this John was highlighting his deity he was highlighting the fact that he was God in the flesh this was the one that would speak the the universe into place and life and create this is that person all authority was given to him So he establishes that with complete understanding. Jesus knew who he was. And when he prepared to wash the feet of the disciples, he knew his glory. He did not forget his glory. He knew the divine dignity that he had. But he will show us that there are no limits for how far he would go to love his people. No limits whatsoever. He loved his own absolutely to the end. So, I want to talk about this before we get to the washing of the feet. To me, this has probably stood out so powerful to me. Um, how, do, how does Jesus love you, really? Think about it. How does he love you? Do you feel like he loves you to the end? One thing is absolutely sure in the confusion sometimes with the providence of our lives, with the circumstances of our lives, one thing is 100% absolutely sure is that there is no failure in the love of Christ for you and for me. No failure in it at all. It is always richer and richer and amazing. Only richer because you get to see it more, but his love for you is always at this level, highest possible level, always intensely loving you. Always. So no objection can be made regarding how well Jesus loves us, even if some of us would dare to say in our lives, well, you know, let me tell you about what's been going on lately in my life. And, you know, I just I kind of wonder, Jesus forget me, if he loves me, um, don't feel bad. Look around, everybody feels that way from time to time. I, I thought God was finished with me and done with me and never wanted to see me or think about me and scratch my name out with a Sharpie marker out of the Lamb's Book of Life. You're no more. And he said, no, not even close. Not even close. He shows us love, his love to us in the most amazing ways. 
The answer to this question can only be one thing. When you look at life and hardships and difficulties and trials that you go through, he, you, you, there's only one way to look at it. Every single one of them has a one single purpose, and that's to bring you closer to God, to bring you into his company, to bring you into the intimacy of his love for you and his care for you and his plan for your life. All of those things are 100% absolutely fully about bringing you closer to him. You, you can't do without them. It's all, the gospel was always, they say, it was never hidden. There's our, there are probably some books that are written and some interpretations of God's word and messages that are preached around the world that makes um, uh, God to be different than this. That he's, you know, he's, if you love him and your faith's real, these things, you know, tr- tr- trying, difficult, troublesome things will not happen to you in life. It won't, just won't happen. You know, in the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey, he goes to Lystra, Iconium, Goes to Derby. He's not there for very long, long enough to get stoned, long enough to, to be left for dead outside the city. And people just like, what happened? You know, long enough to pre- preach the gospel, uh, and many, many people received it. That's for your younger generation. Stoned means throw rocks at and die. Oh, okay. Okay. So, he, and, and he gets to Derby, and when he's in Derby, he decides. They're going to come back through those towns. You know what the one thing he tells? He says, we've got to go back to these new brothers in Christ and encourage them in their new faith. See how they're doing and lift them up and encourage them and pray for them. So he does, and he gets back there and he says, does all this stuff, he encourages them. He says, remember, in the world you're going to have trouble. Such encouraging words. In the world you're going to have trouble. You're going to go to work tomorrow. Uh, Maybe tomorrow, some of you will go to work tomorrow, Sunday. You're going to have trouble, all kinds of trouble there. You're going to have trouble on the highway. You're going to have trouble everywhere. It's trouble, trouble, trouble. It's all God's providence to bring you closer to him. I I promise you that. On, On the authority of every word in this book, I promise you that's true. How do you see it? That's the problem. These things, are bring, these things happen to, to bring you to, and to ultimately fully into the kingdom of God, to know his love and to experience his love and to be able to share his love. These things are important. Whether you view his providence uh, in a positive light or not becomes a choice in life. Jacob, I want to talk about two guys real quick. Jacob, there's some verses about the end of his life. And David, King David. Jacob, in, in, in the last years of his life, the last uh, hours of his life, was giving, imparting the blessing to Joseph's sons and to Joseph and bless Pharaoh. But he makes the comment, he says, saying, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. I remember the first time I read that, I was going like, Ooh, why do you say that? Because Jacob, we know Jacob, he was a man of God. We've seen Jacob in his whole life and all these amazing things and changing in him, coming from someone who was always deceptive and sneaky to a very humble man who walked with a limp because he had an encounter with God that was genuine and real and all of this stuff. But he viewed days of trouble in this light. It's okay. Sometimes we just do that. It's just hard to get past that sometimes. But then there's another guy, and this is King David, and he talks about his life. Now, you know about both his lives. I don't know. We don't know all the details, but who do you think had a harder life, David or Jacob? Maybe we say they both had a really hard life, maybe like you and me. 
There's a hard life. There's trouble. There's, there's battles that we wage and fight against every day. Putting the flesh aside and, and inviting the Spirit of God into our lives and to teach us and to grow us. And we know this is happening. But you know what David says? And he had trouble. Wow. He said this. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. In other words, everything he's poured into my cup, into my life, I, I'm thankful for. Everything. He said, God, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen to, for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. He looked forward to going to be with God. There was nothing in this world that made David want to hang on to it a little bit longer. I get a little bit um, disconcerting. I, I find it disconcerting sometimes when Christians are always talking about if I could just do something to live a little bit longer in this life. It's like, what message do you send to your children, to your friends, to your wives, your husbands, your friends, your co-workers when you, when you live life as if you've got to get squeezed one more day out of it? You have no place to go. You don't have a kingdom that's waiting for you. A God that says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, what does he say? I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. We should be, we should be beyond words excited about that. We should be beyond words excited about that. I was talking to some of my brothers this week and we were saying, you know what? Uh, my children are grown, but sometimes you're, you're, you, a lot of you have young children. If you tell your children you're going to go to Yaw's Waterworld in, in two weeks or spring break, you're planning on spring break, right? You tell your children you're going to go to Yaw's Waterworld or, or whatever their favorite thing to do is, and as a family you're going to go do this, and they get too excited about this, and that's all they think about. They, in fact, sometimes it's hard to, you know, even for adults sometimes when we have a trip planned or something, we just think about it and we just uh, whine away the days and <laughs> can't wait for this and... And, uh, and I like that. That's okay. But what I don't understand is how come we as the children of, of the Almighty God don't get excited about His kingdom. We don't get excited about going to see Him. You know? It's okay to react like this. Jesus in His last hour says, okay, I've got to squeeze some things in before I go. Before I go to the cross. Before I express my ultimate love and die for my children. I squeeze a few things in. And this is what he squeezes in. I'm checking the time. Okay, we're doing good. They're eating. They're sitting down. And Jesus... I think they got used to this, right? The, the twelve. Not being able to anticipate their Lord's next move. He stood up. He rose up. It's not really the time to rise up. But what's he, so they're all like, all eyes on, on Jesus. What's he going to do now? It's going to be exciting. It's going to disturb us a little bit, I'm sure. Uh, but this is the way Jesus was. And he says he rose up. No banners. No fanfare. No announcement. None of that. None of, no, no rehearsals. He just stands up. And quietly takes off his outer robe, picks up a towel, wraps it around his waist, and gets the water basin and goes down and kneels down and washes the feet of his disciples. 
This is a NASA image if there ever was one. And the resolution, pray the Spirit of God makes that resolution because this is amazing. I, I, I'm speechless, actually, when I think about this, and I just can't imagine. And I love, I love that John tells us Peter's reaction. This, this is everything because Peter, wow. You know, Peter was like... Um, Jesus was teaching one time, remember, if you look back in chapter 6, he's teaching some tough theology, really, really tough theology, and, and um, a whole, there's more than the 12 are there, and there's all these people are there, and they're listening and listening and, and just staring and blank faces. I see that when I teach math, they're just blank faces, you know, I just, you try, whatever, and, and uh, anyway, they, he kind of got to the end of his lesson, and, he, and many of them just said, too much for me. And they leave. They just get up and they just leave. And he looks to his 12 and says, will you also go away? And it's almost as if they wanted to go with their friends because that was hard teaching and they didn't get it, didn't understand it. And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? It was like it was an argument that he was having, and this is the part that gets shared. To whom shall we go? Well, this much we do know. Thou art the Son of God. You have the words of life. Who else has these? I don't understand, but I can't leave this situation. Peter's just like this, you know. And um, so Jesus gets up, and he's going to wash the feet of the disciples. Um, wow, he, so he comes to Peter, and... Um, and Peter says, we only get these words, but I'm sure there's more in his heart and mind than maybe that he said. He said, um, Lord, you, you're going to wash my feet? This is not culturally acceptable. We may not have a servant here, but you, of all people, should not be washing my feet. I should wash yours. But you should not wash my feet. This is just who Jesus was. Let's give Peter this. No, let's give Peter this. How had Peter... Peter was only used to seeing Jesus one way. Powerful. All he was ever used to. This humble man who was the Son of God, who could heal the blind and bring the dead back to life. This is all he was ever used to. He was used to someone who stood up, as humble as he was, and spoke with authority that would just baffle people. He could confound the best and most wisest, most educated Pharisees. He would just confound them and make them exasperated enough where they tried to kill him. It would lead up to this time when he would give his life on the cross. But this is what Jesus was used to. Jesus always prevailed. Peter saw this. He always prevailed against his enemies. Even, even when they, Judas would betray him and Peter would say, this isn't happening tonight. Pulls out of a sword. Man, he just washed my feet. You're not taking him away. Pulls a sword from somebody and going for the neck and missed and hit his ear. That's what Peter was thinking. I'm, this guy is going out. And Jesus stopped Peter and says, hold, hold it. And Jesus in authority and in power put that man's ear back on his head and said, no, this isn't the way. This is not the way. But this is how Peter was used to seeing his Lord in this context of great power. 
not like this. He, he now looked like, exactly like a slave, a servant in the house, a bond servant, outer garment off, kneeling down, washing their feet. Too amazing. Peter says, um, Lord, you're going to wash my feet. And Jesus saw, sensed what he was dealing with. And he said, well, you don't really understand right now um, what I'm doing. But afterward, you will understand. So that should have been enough for Peter right there. Just like for you. You don't understand the hard ships that you're dealing with or the providences of your life that are so hard and so difficult and so painful and, and it, ache, it makes your heart ache. You don't understand this now, but Jesus is saying, there's something good working here. Just hang on. And Peter was told this by the Lord. You just don't understand right now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, Jesus, you can't. You cannot wash my feet. I'm not going to allow it. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. You have no share with me if I don't get to wash your feet. What? This may be the quickest turnaround I've ever read. Peter's processing. And he says, Okay, Lord. You know what this was an admission to, by the way? Peter was allowing, because we do the same thing. It just looks different. For every one of you, for me, it looks different. Peter was allowing God to love him. Sometimes we resist. We're always holding Jesus at arm's length and saying, I'm all about following you, but only this way, only this close. He wanted to prescribe to Jesus just how much relationship they could have. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands, so that anything I do would glorify you. My head, that all that I think about would glorify you. All of me, wash me. This was his confession. Jesus wanted uh, two things here because Jesus is like this. He's always teaching. He's, he wanted them to know of his, of, of his love, it, how intimate it was, how pursuant it was. It's not casual. It's not a light thing. It doesn't hinge on you at all. It doesn't matter about you. He did not confer with you and ask you, do you want to be one of my child, one of my children? He never asked that. Read the scripture and pour over it and ask yourself this. He didn't confer with you. I don't care what preachers say up here as they coax people to make decisions for Christ. It's the Spirit of God working in you and absolutely. And so this became, you know, this is Jesus saying, I'm going to love you and this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to show grace and mercy and forgiveness to you. And if you read in Ephesians, you find out in, uh, that, that the grace of God, that uh, forgiveness that, and the redemption that was provided saves us. And it says, and then you were seated with him in the kingdom. Present tense. That doesn't make sense because 
I'm still here, you're still here, they were still there, but he says that you're seated with me. So for all biblical purposes, for all the mind and work and power of God, you are with him, and he says, afterwards, I'm going, I've, I've, I've procured your salvation, afterwards, I'm going to work and manifest my love in you. So God spends a lifetime manifesting his love to you. And so this is what he's doing here before he goes in his last hour. One more chance to love him to the end. I want to manifest my love. And he says, this is how it is. Peter, this is the kingdom culture. We're taught, we talk so much about culture in this country because we're so culturally diverse. We've got to be culturally sensitive to all of us, each other, because we're also, you know what? There's not going to be a jillion and one cultures in the kingdom of heaven. There might be a lot of different nationalities for sure, people from every nation on the face of the earth for sure, but not a lot of different cultures. We're all going to become under the divine, a divine culture. You, know, you may have your uniquenesses. Of course you will. God created you special and very unique and all that, and all the good things will be there. But the culture of the kingdom of heaven is being loved by God in the most amazing way. And this is it. So, Peter, get used to it. Because this is how involved I'm going to be in your life. Later on he says, um, I give you this example because I want you to, to do the same thing. So he says, I need you to know how much I love you. Because I want you to imitate me as leaders of the church, as believers. Okay? I want you to imitate me. So he told him this. He says, if you know what I'm saying to you, if you know these things, then you are going to, you, you are blessed, you're going to be blessed you are if you do them. So he fully intended for them to imitate him and to go out and to, and to carry this out. But look what he says. I think I find this interesting. I read this over and over again. I say, I got what it said. If I lift the verse out, I got what it said, but I put it back in there and I struggled with trying to figure out what it means in the larger picture here. And uh, he says that... Um, Truly, truly, which is really interesting, you know, to add that kind of emphasis. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Okay, stating the obvious to Peter. What he was telling Peter was, I I know this. I know what the culture of the world is. I know what goes on here. I understand this. I fit this. I've functioned in this for 33 years. I get this. But just because I, your master... Lay aside my garment to serve and to love. doesn't change who I am. That's why John said, he, with all authorities given to him, this is the divine creator that gets down on his knees, not says a word to anybody and just gets their feet and he's just washing their feet. This is, a, this is an amazing thing. Maybe not too intimate if it's just a, a household slave that does this. It becomes routine maybe in some households, just a normal thing. But this was... The, this was This was God who was doing it. God wants to be this involved in your life. He Actually, God says, I'll I'll have it no other way. That's what he told Peter. Either I wash you, you have no share with me. I have to be able to love you this deeply, this earnestly. I have to. Because I want you to love me the same way. I want you to love me the same way. And so Peter says, how are we going to do that? Or Jesus says, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to imitate me. You're going to imitate me. You're going to teach everyone that this is the way of love and caring for people. 
And we miss this all too often. So, we've got to be thinking about this, don't we? I, I uh, want to make one more scripture reference and then we'll wind down. I'm, uh, I read this, mentioned this in the AGM uh, in our mission report. But there's a passage in the scripture in um, Matthew chapter 6 that says, Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust corrupts and thieves break in and steal. But lay, for your, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So I, um, I got this. I know this verse really well. I remember hearing it all, for a long time. And I always got, especially just get the first part, you know, um, don't, don't try to become rich in this life. Don't make life all about gaining, 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 gaining. Because he who gains the whole world can lose his own soul. That sounds scary. You know, so I got that first part, but it was the second part. I, I used to, I, I really never questioned too much. I said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What does that look like? It's not one thing, by the way. It's not just one thing. What does it look like, though? Are you busy about that? Yes, we should be. We should be busy about laying up treasures in heaven and asking God, how does this look and how can I do this? Lay up treasures in heaven. Wow, you know, it'd be nice if we just write a big check. It's not the way Jesus said. This is it. And this is it. By the way, this is the. This was kind of the the the, the great lesson for this. Love people. Reach out to people. You're the arms of Christ. You're supposed to to imitate Christ in the world. You know, one of the things as a mission director that just hit me so square on in the last few months is that verse that says the fields are white unto harvest but the laborers are few. I always get the part where about the laborers are few and I started reading this and I started thinking about it and Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. I'm like, my grandfather was a farmer and I, farmers know what it means when, the, when they're told the fields are white unto harvest. It's, it just simply means you, got, you better get out there and get them in because it's, you know, Storm come and blow your grain down and, and ruin your crops. It's time to go get it and bring it in. But what, what clicked in my head is like it's ready. And Jesus is telling us things are ready. My spirit is working in the hearts of your neighbors, of your family, of your children, of your relatives, of your co-workers, of everyone you know. And come The spirit of God is working and you're the light to shine. How are you going to shine if you don't love? And Jesus says love. Love people. Genuinely. doesn't have to be this way. It's not our culture today to wash people's feet. That, look, that will probably be strange, right? Maybe some situations it will be just right. Maybe just the thing. But for the most part, no, I think it would look way different. Most of you, you, most of you are doing it, and you don't probably even realize that you're storing up treasures in heaven. You're doing it now. You're just actively engaged in it all the time. It's just caring about people, genuinely caring about people, putting yourself aside and just caring about people and praying for people, and looking for God to work miracles in the lives of people. Store up thing. It's, it's, I say it because I think it's worthy for us to spend some time in our hearts and our minds thinking about this. What does it look like to store up a treasure in heaven? Jesus is telling them, I want you not just to know these things, but I want you to go out and do them, and you will be so blessed when you do. You know, serve in secret. You know, sometimes we can't do things in secret. 
Jesus kind of did this in secret. He didn't tell anybody. And they, it threw him off when he kneeled down and washed their feet. Those men are talking about that even today as they're in the kingdom of heaven. They're probably sitting there talking to each other. Do you remember when Jesus did that, how we thought and what we were thinking? And wow, he is just like that. I mean, we get to experience him every day in the kingdom, and he is just like that. He is all about our business. You know, he, he, just, he just gets into our lives, you know, and it's just rich and powerful. This is the God we serve. This is the God who died for us and the God who loves us and God who promises his kingdom. Serving is not all about, um, Jesus would say, it's not all about status and rank. It's not about that at all. It's just about, it's about loving and choosing to value somebody and to pray for somebody and to minister to somebody. Let's ask God in our lives to whose feet can I wash? And also, to me, the most important thing is, is to understand and receive that love that God has for you and don't hold him at arm's length. Let him wash your feet. Let God love you and care for you. It's based on the merits of Christ, not yours. So run to him and just let him and say, Lord, love me. I need you. I need your arms around me. I need you to lift me up and strengthen me. And he will absolutely be there and do that. Remember when David said, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the worst times of David's life, he says, my God was always there. He prepared a table for me, before me in the presence of my enemies. He loves me. My cup overflows. Let's bow our heads. Our gracious Father, Lord, um, I pray for your spirit to touch our hearts with this. can only feel hugely inadequate, Lord, when we look at such scripture that you give to us and imagine your love. Lord, let me be like Peter. Let us all be like him. Tempted to say no, but realize that we need you. So wash all of us. We want to share in your life. Father, we want to be parts of of the adventure that you're working in our lives. Teach us, Father, to reach out and take your hand and say, let's go, wherever. Whether it's full on, full face into persecution or lesser difficulties in life, we know you're always with us. We know that you always love us and you... Father, do it in the most divine and amazing way. And we thank you. We ask and pray, Lord, go with us, keep us, draw us ever closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Won't you just stand with us even as we do a closing song? Psalmist David also 